0: Our reading this morning is from John's Gospel, chapter 3, on page 1065 in the Church Bibles. And we start at verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask you to fill us now, to fill our hearts and minds and open them to your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. morning. (laughs) We're going to stick fairly close to the text this morning, so you might want to keep your Bibles open there. Um, But before we look at the text I wondered, I had a wonder while I was doing this this morning. I wonder if if you've ever met a really famous person. Have you? Did they measure up to what you thought they were going to be like? Share with your neighbor if you've ever met somebody truly famous, Anybody heard of anybody interesting? Do you want to yell out a few names? Any names? Yeah? Prince Philip. Okay. Cliff Richard. My goodness me. Wow. Somebody at the back there? Jackie Pullinger here. Desmond Tutu. Wow. Anybody else that you'd like to yell out? Yes? Princess Anne, lots of royalty there. Well, you'll be interested to hear that when I was small, less than 10 years old, I went to see the Queen. Yeah. Well, when I, when I say I went to see the Queen, what I really mean is I went to a place where the Queen was due to pass by. And, but I was, I was very small. And I looked down on her from a steep grassy bank along with thousands of other cheering people. I remember it as an altogether rather disappointing experience. From my eight-year-old vantage point, Her Majesty looked really rather ordinary. Just like my granny, actually. No crown, no fancy frock. Just an elderly lady walking along, slowly smiling at people. For quite a while after that, you see, I was an authority on the Queen. And I could have told you, had you asked me, that I thought of her as very, very dull. After all, I felt I had met her, I had given her a chance, and she had thoroughly disappointed me. The royalty wasn't for me, I thought, very dull. Of course, we can all smile at such childish misunderstanding. To see someone in the distance, you see, to know their name, to know some facts about them, maybe, is not the same as having a relationship with them. Now, I've found that people can surprise you when you get to know them. Some quiet folk have hidden depths that bring joy and color to your life. And others that are rather full of themselves can turn out to be a little shallow and frankly boring when you get to know them. It's important to take time to get to know people. In our current sermon series, we're looking at people from the Gospels who have encountered Jesus. Not people who knew of him or even knew about him, but people who actually encountered him, who interacted with him in one way or another, who entered into relationship with him. Last week, with Tim, we looked at Nathaniel, who was at first something of a sceptical customer, maybe a bit like Howard with his questions. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He said, before he met Jesus that was. Today, we're going to spend some time in the company of Nicodemus to see what we can learn from his relationship with the Lord. Nicodemus, we're told, right at the beginning there, was a Pharisee, a significant man in Jewish society, a member of the ruling council, no less. He was clever and probably rather wealthy, certainly religious and well thought of in his city. He comes to Jesus after dark. Now, we don't really know why he did that. Some people think that, as a scholar, He waited till all the crowds, the riffraff, had gone home and came in the quiet of an evening to have a drink and a chat, a serious theological talk with Jesus. He was an academic, after all, and it wasn't unknown to spend the evening talking over important things. Other people, however, will tell you that he came to Jesus after dark because he was afraid, and he didn't want anyone to see him and spoil his respectable reputation. He was, after all, in with the in crowd in Jerusalem, and Jesus was already making himself unpopular. You can make up your own mind. I'm not sure it's terribly important. But whatever brought him there, we do know that he came along quite certain that he understood. He says in verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. Well, how sad that his opening gambit, designed to be complementary to this teacher, Jesus, actually reveals how little he understands. For Jesus is not a teacher come from God, like any other academic. But rather, Jesus is God come to teach us the way of life. In fact, lots of people engage with church without really understanding Jesus. There are all sorts of fringe benefits after all. The building can be very beautiful. The music can be lovely. And church communities are usually welcoming and friendly, a space in which you might receive peace, healing, forgiveness. At the very least, free coffee and biscuits. Before we get too critical, we've got to remember that we're all a little inclined to engage with things that we don't fully understand. I drive a car. I use a computer. But I cannot pretend to be an expert on how either of those things work. But they both make my life so much more pleasant. And so it is with church. If you choose to deal with it in that way, you can come to church and improve the quality of your life in some way without ever really engaging on a personal level with Jesus. Until Nicodemus encounters Jesus in person, he has some misconceptions. But Jesus cuts straight to the heart of the matter, as he does with all of us, he meets him where he is. He engages on grounds that he thinks he understands, and he talks, therefore, about the kingdom of heaven, a topic any Jew would be an expert on. But Jesus' perspective is so completely new for Nicodemus that he finds himself completely confused. Nicodemus is used to being intellectually in charge of matters to do with faith but here jesus loses him completely any religious person wants to see the kingdom of god but how can anyone be born again jesus is talking about radically starting again Acts 2.38 tells us to repent and be baptised, an outward sign of an inward change of heart. But Jesus here is not talking about baptism with water. He's talking about baptism with the Holy Spirit. Just as the water of baptism is a symbol of washing away the old and starting completely afresh, Jesus is inviting Nicodemus to let the Holy Spirit completely fill him, washing away all that he thinks he knows and filling him in every part for a brand new start, like a baby beginning life again. It's not a matter of being born into the right family, of going to church enough times, of keeping enough rules, It's not a matter for the head and how clever you are. It's a matter for the heart, a matter of complete surrender to Jesus, inside and out. It's really a love story. For some people, this new birth, this filling with the Holy Spirit, is a huge, big deal. Some people have dramatic stories of conversion with enormous amounts of joy and relief and exhilaration for forgiveness and love. There are sometimes tears, sometimes laughter. These are the dramatic conversions we often hear about in the Christian media. But that's not the case for everyone. Just as every physical birth is different, and some are more dramatic than others. So every spiritual new birth is personal to the individual. All are equally beautiful and equally precious. My own story, I have to tell you, is completely unremarkable. I grew up going to church and being reasonably well behaved. I didn't have an exciting story of conversion from desperate sin nothing like that no life of crime to confess I'm sorry it's rather dull but on the eve of going away to university I just knew it was time to own the faith of my family for myself to tell Jesus that there was no part of me that he couldn't use for his glory and so I asked the Holy Spirit to fill me that I might be baptized, not with water, that happened when I was a baby, but with the Holy Spirit. It was really a very quiet business, with no spectacular effects at all. But I encountered Jesus in a new way, a deeper way, that set me on a road of discovery, and, I believe, changed my life. Understanding more of Jesus gave me courage to be more myself as he made me to be and we began to journey together. Within a year I found myself working in Rwanda in Central Africa on a short-term mission and I discovered that my relationship with Jesus had become so precious that I could no longer, it could no longer be a personal secret. It had to be something that would make a difference to others but I didn't know what that could look like. A year later, I found myself living in the south of France, far from the encouragement of my church community, and certainly with some very interesting people around me. No one who knew what I was getting up to cared. And those that might care, well, they didn't know. The challenge was deeply personal, but I felt the change inside of me had to impact what people saw on the outside. Two years later, I moved to the south of England and found myself teaching and doing lots of youth work, knowing certain answers, of course, because I would be brought up in the church, but I still did not necessarily understand with my heart what was going on. So I took some time out I went to London Bible College to give God time to speak to me and to find out more about his call on my life. That was nearly 30 years ago. (laughs) Look where I am now. That shy 18-year-old would never have believed. Incremental change has taken me from one place to another in very ordinary steps. not spectacular, not at all but it all traces back to asking God's Holy Spirit to fill me in every part. In Greek and Hebrew, the word for wind and the word for spirit is the same thing. That's interesting, isn't it? So John offers us a pun and a word picture in verse eight to help us imagine more clearly what he's talking about opening up a window to let in the breath of fresh air can be a wonderfully refreshing thing on a hot day life-giving even but a gust of refreshing breeze can also turn the papers on your desk upside down and bring about change to your life quite unexpectedly it's a step of faith of turning yourself over completely to god and giving him control of your life body mind and spirit Some people would say to that, wow, too scary for me. And I do remember that night when I was 18, feeling a little nervous. What what was I about to do? What was I actually engaging with? But I was also desperate to know more of Jesus. I really believe there are no safer hands to trust yourself to. As the old saying goes, we don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. Only Jesus can bring about this transformational change in anyone's life. In verse 14, John gives us another word picture. When he likens the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, to the bronze snake that Moses made in the wilderness to heal those in the camp who had been bitten by poisonous snakes. You can read that story in Numbers 21 if you're interested. But the point is, the bronze snake in the Moses story was lifted high on a pole and anyone who wanted to be healed from the poisonous snake venom could look to the the snake and be saved to some degree all of our lives have been infected with the poison of sin all who want healing in this life can look to jesus who gave up his own life as he hung on the cross for our sakes he died and rose again to eternal life so that we might have the opportunity to restore our relationship with our Heavenly Father, to be in right relationship with him through the Holy Spirit, whatever you've done in the past, or whatever you've not done, I suppose, not to condemn us, but to give us life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. People do extraordinary things for love. They give up their jobs, they move house, they go without or take on extra responsibilities. They take risks for the love of another person. Do you remember that advertising campaign that asked us who we loved enough to give our last Rolo to? It played on the fact that for someone we love, we will go to enormous lengths. God's love for humankind is even greater than that. For love of you, God didn't just give up his last roller. He gave up his only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have eternal life. He didn't do this just for special people, for people like Nicodemus, who were wealthy and influential, well-educated and popular, for nice, church-going individuals although the beauty of it is that they are welcome too. The Bible is quite clear that God's sacrificial love extends to anyone who turns to him in faith and believes. Anyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. Nicodemus was drawn to Jesus, although he didn't quite understand at first. In fact, there were lots of things he wrestled with intellectually. But Jesus asked him to trust and have faith, to invite the Holy Spirit to fill him in every part and to embark upon a journey of discovery. He asked him to step from the darkness of unbelief into the light of faith. Stepping into the light means owning your faith, living in a way that speaks of God's light and love to those around you, both in word and deed. It means participating in the community of the church, and it means actively seeking to learn more about Jesus and how to be his disciple. I wonder what that would look like for you. When young people fall in love, they're hungry to know more of one another, aren't they? To be together, to talk of one another, to the point of boring everybody else silly. Does that describe your relationship with Jesus? Have you let the Holy Spirit touch your heart, or are you keeping him at arm's length? I wonder, are you ready to fall in love with him? We don't hear an awful lot more about Nicodemus in the Gospels, except that we know in chapter seven he stands up for for Jesus Rather courageously, objecting to the Jewish leaders judging him without a trial. That was brave, I think. And after Jesus' death, he pays for enormous quantities of spices and ointments for his burial. That's commitment too. This quiet, studious man has the courage to step out of the darkness and into the light. And so this morning, I'm offering you a deeply personal challenge. What about you? Are you willing to let go of control in your life? To invite the Holy Spirit to fill you completely and transform your relationship with Jesus? Jesus is love in action. God, loving the unloving, loving you, loving me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have eternal life. He invites you today to step from the darkness into the light of his love. Amen.